I was about to post this podcast when I received some sad news from the DX world. Thank you to Bernie W3UR for providing the following information. K3ZO Alfred Albert Lown III of Temple Hills, Maryland, passed away last week. He was 85. Fred was preceded in death by his wife, Samporn. On December 15th, Fred became ill and was soon taken to Inova Fairfax Hospital. He had both an infection and COVID, and his condition worsened as time progressed, reported K4ZW Ken Clairbout. Fred was first licensed in the early 1950s. During the late 50s, Fred attended the University of Wisconsin and could often be heard operating the club station W9YT. In 1963, Fred moved to the Washington, D.C. area and was active as W9SZR-3. He joined the Potomac Valley Radio Club, the PVRC, and was a frequent operator at multi-multi-stations W3MSK and W4BVV. Fred worked for the United States Foreign Service and had many posts, including the Dominican Republic, where he operated as HI8XAL, Thailand, where he was HS3AL, HS5ABD, and HS1ABD, Vietnam, where he was XV4Alpha Lima, Argentina, where he was LU5HFI, Colombia, where he was HK3STROKE-K3ZO and HK3NBB, and as an SWL in Nicaragua. In 1973, while working in Cordoba, Argentina, Fred was shot and kidnapped by Marxist guerrillas. He was eventually left bleeding, wrapped in a blanket. Fred was a member of the National Capital DX Association and was serving as president. He also headed up the W3QSL Bureau for many years. Fred was a member of the CQ Contest Hall of Fame, as well as a member of the CQ Contest Committee. He was a longtime First Class Operators Club member, number 928, an A1 Operators Club member, and a director of the Yasme Foundation. Fred did not want to have a formal funeral or ceremony. Amateur radio has truly lost a giant in contesting, DXing, and amateur radio. Our prayers are with Fred's family. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the DX Mentor Podcast, The Thrill of DX. Thank you for joining us. This episode is sponsored by ICOM America, makers of the finest radios and accessories for your amateur radio station, and by The Daily DX, the best source for real-time DX information anywhere. This episode is also sponsored by the Southwest Ohio DX Association, one of the premier DX clubs in the nation. I'm Bill, AJB, the DX mentor, not the DX guru. Our guests are the DX gurus each episode that we can all learn from. Each episode can also be viewed on YouTube under the DX Mentor channel. An episode schedule and more information can be found at www.aj8b.com slash d-dx-mentor-podcast. Our gurus for this podcast are Joe, W8GEX, Scott, K0MD, and Ned, AA7A. Counterclockwise on my screen, which is the easiest way for me to do this, I'll introduce you, and if you can just say a brief uh, minute or so about your DX history, uh, then we'll get started. So, Ned, AA7A, please take us away. Thanks uh, for having me on this uh, podcast, Bill. This is a real real pleasure. Uh, I'm Ned Stearns, AA7A. I've been I've been a ham for, for almost 60 years, and I'm 50 years old. Um, and uh, I have to say that uh, ham radio had a huge impact on my career. 
uh, you know, after years of being a ham, I, I went to Purdue and got an electrical engineering degree and, and it just, uh, just sparked everything in my life. It's just been uh, the thing that has kept me uh, going for all of these years. Uh, and after all those years on the air, I've, I've uh, amassed uh, an endless list of uh, operating accomplishments. I won't bore anybody with them, but the big, the big ones were, you know, doing the DXCC challenge, which is working every country on every band as much as you possibly can. And I got to the 3000 level a couple of years ago, which is about as far as you can go. And you'd think I'd quit, but I haven't. Uh, I've also uh, completed what's called the Fred Fish Memorial Award, which is a six meter uh, uh, activity. I, I completed that. That's all 488 grid squares in the continental U.S. Uh, I was uh, elected into the CQ Magazine Hall of Fame in uh, 2020, which is, uh, it's almost like running for homecoming king. Um, it's, a, it's a competition in itself, but uh, after having been on 30D expeditions and a couple of them just the, into the icy waters of the Antarctic, uh, uh, apparently an impressive enough people that that, that happened. Um, so, but, but I keep going at it. I, there's, there's, I keep finding things to do. I'm working on remote uh, station design and construction. And I have uh, now have uh, two different moonbound systems on two different bands on, in two different locations, uh, which I am uh, building and operating. So uh, for me, there, there's, uh, there's always something to do. And it just, uh, in ham radio, just uh, NDXing uh, keeps me going. So if someone wanted to follow your exploits and your progress, where would they go? Yeah, just contact me and I will, uh, I will, I will uh, help them with whatever they need to know. Uh, uh, usually the best bet is to find someone uh, near you uh, who is uh, good at the game and uh, they will be more, more than happy to, uh, to uh, bring you in, uh, let you uh, operate their station. And for me, uh, you could actually remote into my station. Uh, I'll help you do that. So there's, Lots and lots of ways to play, but I think the best approach is to find someone uh, local who will help you. Okay, great. And then we have Scott Wright, K0MD from the uh, Frozen Tundra. Scott? Hey, good. Hello, Bill and Ned and Joe. It's a real privilege to be a part of this great group. I mean, uh, both Ned and Joe have been uh, individuals that I've looked up to uh, for many years and learned a lot about DXing and ham radio. Uh, they're both giants in the field uh, and uh, extremely accomplished uh, hobbyists as well as individuals. So uh, I feel a bit awkward being on the podcast with these two giants, so to speak, uh, Bill. Uh, you know, I got started in ham radio in 1977. So I've been licensed a little about 45 years. Uh, and uh, I started DXing from the first day. Uh, I didn't know there was any other aspect to ham radio except to try to work people overseas or far away. And it's always been a real interest of mine. In fact, I started working uh, as a as a middle school student when I was 12 and 13 to earn money so I could buy a tower and get a tri-band Yagi up. And uh, then the world opened up. And then uh, uh, a couple of years after I got that up, I had bought a Drake Beeline and a local ham uh who was quite an accomplished DXer came by my station. And just as Ned had suggested uh, earlier, uh, he showed me how to work split and how to do CW DXing and how to call. And that really improved my DXing. Uh, I didn't really start keeping count of DX totals until I started computer logging in the 2000s. And I've only been computer logging since 2006, but I have about 323 countries confirmed and only 1,650 or so in the DXCC challenge. Uh, I'm not quite as accomplished as uh, Joe or Bill. Um, and I'm sorry, Joe or Ned, and uh, 
And Joe, Joe persuaded me to take a 30 meter antenna to uh, Turks and Caicos. I'm sorry, 60 meter antenna to the Turks and Caicos a few years ago when I was down there for a contest. And so I did some 60 meter DXing and Joe will talk about that a lot. So anyway, I've been, I've been a ham. I do mostly HF operating. In fact, the only two meter equipment I own are HTs that sit in a charger and never get turned on. So, uh, you know, my entire station is really dedicated to HF and, uh, I make uh, not infrequent trips to Phoenix for work, and I try to have dinner with Ned every time I'm out so I can learn something new from him. And um, his station's an engineering marvel. I have to brag about his station. It's really well-designed, well-thought-through. Uh, he has inspired me to improve my station. And uh, Joe has, Joe is no slouch on a good station, too. He's, Joe's one of those places you have to visit his station. If you're at the Dayton Hamvention, you want to see WHGEX's Marvel, too. So... Bill, that's about all I have to say right now, but I'll be glad to talk more as we continue. Great. My only comment would be, I guess I take exception to the Giants in the field. I am 6'9", so I kind of feel like I'm in there with these guys also, but that's to be determined. <laughs> well, so, we would we would mention that you are the only University of Dayton alumnus in the group today. There too. you go. <laughs> yeah, that has something to do with it. So, All right, Joe, W-A-G-E-X in Oxford, Ohio. Uh, tell us about yourself. Well, thank you. And first of all, thanks for uh, putting this on, uh, Bill. And Bill is a giant. I'm five foot seven, and I look straight up at him. So he's a, a big boy. I got started in as a SWL in 1955 and did that for several years. Just fell in love when I heard DX. Then I, I got my technician class, was on 6'2", 432 for, for several years. And then we had some good openings into the uh, Caribbean. And then once I worked at DX, I was absolutely hooked. I just thought that this is the best thing next to sliced bread for me. So um, um, I work all bands. I got 25 acres here in Southwest Ohio. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, pretty much got plenty of room to, uh, to put antennas. The 25 acres is all flat and we're uh, really got it stretched out and Bill and, and uh, Scott have, have both been here. Been on 61 uh, a D expedition. Some of them were just, just myself on family vacation and, and others were uh, 20 man major D expeditions. And, and I just absolutely fell in love. Uh, every time I do one, um, I'm anxious to start another one. It's just something about it that, that gets in your blood. And then 19, no, 2003, as, as, as Scott mentioned, uh, 60 meters become available to us. And I, I picked that up. I was the first one to take it on the D expedition to Maserat. And we, uh, me and the boys had fun working 60 meters down there and been really, really hooked on, on 60 meters. I, I really, really enjoy that band. But I'm, I'm on the radio being retired. I'm pretty much on the radio every day, uh, particularly on the gray lines. I'm, I'm into the gray line. So I'm, I get up early in the morning and, uh, and then in the evening, I work the gray line. And then by uh, seven o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. So that's pretty, uh, pretty much my life and life around. Well, one of the goals of, of this DX Mentor podcast is, is more of a roundtable just to throw out questions and, um, or topics or ideas. So, I guess um, one of the things that um, I've been asked before, uh, and I write a column for the uh, Ohio Section Journal every week, um, and I'll get a question sometimes like, what is DX and what is really different than 
sometimes when I just hear people making contacts out west or um, you know um, just just anywhere in the country, what really makes it different? Um, and although it's it's like you can start explaining that, I've never able to to get the kind of the passion behind it. So. Um, Scott, can you maybe find a way to encapsulate that? Someone's in an elevator and just said to you, oh, uh, so you, you like to talk to people all over the world. What's the fun in that? <laughs> you know, they often say that. Well, wh why do you use ham radio when you could call them on a cell phone or use Skype? And I said, well, why do you buy fish at Hy-Vee if you can go fishing, right? Or yeah. vice versa. Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's a thrill about working people. I mean, it's 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 pretty mundane to pick up the call or, as I had this morning, a Zoom meeting with a group in the Middle East. But you never know, and it's not predictable, and it's not for certain when you get on the radio, whether it's a digital mode, CW, Morse code, or sideband, and just try to work some. One. I think traditionally we think of DX as working outside of the continental U.S. Uh, I remember for me early on, uh, Hawaii was a good DX location because I could not consistently work them. But uh, now I have a really good antenna set up and people will say, well, where's the farthest place you've talked in the world? And I'll say, name any country in the world, name any country. And they'll name something and they'll say Australia. Yep. Many times. Talk to them any day of the week. Well, how about uh China. Yep. Talk to them frequently at sunrise or sunset, especially on the weekends. So, I, you know, DX is really working people a long distance away and generally outside of your own country. And uh, for, for us in the U.S., it's usually meaning crossing an ocean to get somewhere. Uh, Ned, what would you say? Well, I, I like to say that uh, that uh, DX is, is when you work something that's unexpected. Uh, you know, radio originally was primarily a, a kind of into broadcasting or reliable communication, you know, like radio dispatching of police or taxis or whatever, you know, you want the radios to work all the time and have certain coverage in their systems. Radio systems are designed to provide that service. Uh, but every once in a while, something comes in out of the ordinary. Uh, it's just not expected. And, and that's what attracted me. Like, like, like Joe, I started out as a VHF guy and, uh, and I got on with some some modest equipment and just talked to guys around town or kids my age uh, had similar setups. And we would just get on and talk to each other every night. And then every once in a while, someone would come in from out of town, out of state, and it would just, it'd just be different. And you go, well, what was that? Uh, what caused that? Why, why does that happen only every once in a while? And, you know, as we now know, we call six meters the magic band. You know, it's, it's either noise or your neighbor. And then all of a sudden, something unexpected. So for me, it, it, it depends on what part of the spectrum you're operating. If it's a blue light or, or 137 kilohertz, uh, uh, you know, those of us that are, that are afflicted with this desire to work DX are, are waiting for and, and trying to optimize our operating uh, activity or our station to uh, get more and more of those unexpected events to happen. Joe, what would you say? Yeah, I agree with uh, Scott and Ned. It's just a passion with me to work DX. Anybody that's foreign countries, I'm I'm just obsessing in, in, in working these guys and girls, and, and and particularly at the gray line, and that's early in the morning at sunrise and sunset uh, in the evening, and and you see uh, you have an enhancement in your signals, and all of a sudden people out of the blue just pop up. And so many times they are very, very needed countries that we're all looking for. Uh, I've been fortunate enough now to, to work them all. And, and I agree with Scott's comment that people say, how far have you worked? 
but you name it, and and we seem to have have been there and worked it. So um, yeah, I'm I'm just a DX man all the way. Let's take a break to learn about the, the daily DX. Hey, I just poured you a cup of coffee. You look pretty happy. How'd you do? I worked him on the third call. Can you believe it? You worked him on the third call? Seriously? I thought you just had that little pistol station. I do, but I have a secret weapon. A secret weapon? What is it? Information. I knew when they were on the air, their operating habits. Heck, I even knew the equipment they're using. I just had to be there when they came up on the band. I even beat the spotting network. Wow, how'd you manage all that? I get the Daily DX from Bernie, W3UR. In addition to the weekly and daily bulletins, I also receive special notices when things change in real time. I feel that I'm always on top of every de-expedition. So now you just need to confirm it, right? Yep, that's it. Bernie even helps me with that, giving me QSL routes and QSL managers if they don't use LOTW. The Daily DX is a DX bulletin sent via email to you Monday through Friday. It includes DX news, IOTA news, QSN reports, QSL information, a DX calendar, propagation forecast, and much, much more. With a subscription to the Daily DX, you will also receive DX news flashes and other interesting DX tidbits. Bernie's been an integral part of my confirming over 300 entities and WAZ while operating a modest station. W3UR Bernie is the editor, a member of the DX Honor Roll, a member of the 3000 Challenge Club, as well as the editor of the House DX column in QST. He is uniquely positioned to have his finger on the pulse of the DX community and shares this information weekly. Why not let Bernie be your secret weapon? You can get a free two-week trial at www dailydx.com. Now let's go have that cup of coffee and tune around. So one of the, one of the things I'll sometimes tell via email is that when you start working DX and it, and it's more than just, I got it, I logged it, I'm done. When you, when you actually take a sincere interest in working these folks, you actually start developing friendships, um, which now I've not traveled outside the U S uh, other than a cruise, but, um, even in writing our newsletter, I kind of have, you know, email pen pals now where guys will send me something and said, hey, is there anybody in your club that has had, you know, trouble with this amplifier because I can't quite get it right. And when you hear somebody on the air and you work them really quick and then they know your name and hope you're doing well and how's Karen and stuff, it, it really adds to that. That's to me is kind of a differentiator. So, Joe, I, I know there's been people that you have now met and had lifelong relationships with outside of this this group or with the states, even like um, I'm going to say the name wrong, but Francesca uh, in uh, in Rome. Is, is there one or two CUSOs or meetings that come to mind that you've made a really solid friendship um, that started with amateur radio? Yeah, Francesco, he's in charge of the uh, Vatican uh, uh, amateur radio station. He's been here to the house to our DX dinner. Just a great, great uh, uh, fellow. I've been on uh, some of my uh, de-expeditions, uh, particularly the uh, bigger ones. We, we've had an international crew. And, and, and because of that relationship on those de-expeditions, de uh, I write those guys uh, some weekly. Had one yesterday from a buddy in Sweden. So it's, it's just interesting how 
how we, we meet these guys on a, a D expedition and then they're just like family from now on. So it's, it's really rewarding in, in that respect. And Ned, have you had similar experiences? Oh, I, like, like Joe, I've been on a number of D expeditions and, and I gotta admit that, that most D expedition teams are some of the most amazing collection of, let me just say characters. Um, that you can ever find, and uh, the you know they're interesting relationships, especially when you get on a boat and you sail across uh, the, the Roaring Forties for a week. Um, you get to know yourself and your friends uh, very, very well. They, I have some, I have some great relationships and some interesting relationships with uh, a lot of the hams that I, I've been on ventures. But let me let me point out one little story here. I, I had my very first big expedition was to Rodrigues Island in 1999. It had been off the air, it had been silent for, I don't know, about 15 years. Uh, no one had really been active there. And we put on the expedition and uh, and we did pretty well. But there was a local ham, uh, 3B9 Fox Radio, Robert, uh, lived there and, and had been off the air for a couple of years. And and we kind of uh, sent him an email letting him know, we're, or actually made a phone call to him, let him know we were coming uh, and he knew of us coming. And while we were setting up the station to get ready, he showed up at our front door and uh, and helped us build the station. And he sat down and and operated the radio and tears came to his eyes because he had been so long since he'd been on the air at work CW. It just it just touched him that he could get back on the air. So we we left a lot of our equipment there with him, got him back on the air and he's been on the air ever since. And and just let me just you know thirty whatever it is thirty years later uh, I get an email from him again and he he says hey I want to get back on one sixty can you can you help me get a a new antenna and currently I'm on the board of directors for the Northern Cal DX Foundation and I made a proposal that we fund him for a one sixty antenna and they all agreed and it's now being shipped to him and so he'll be on one sixty in a big way so we've had a thirty year relationship uh strongest of bonds i mean we pick it up every couple of years we'll exchange emails just to keep in touch but some of these relationships you make on ndxing are just are, are last a lifetime uh joe said he would give more money to the ncbxf if you guys will send a 60 meter antenna so you yeah know. well you know we're working on the sixes he's on yeah. six now at 160 we'll get to 60. all right you may think about it. scott i know you're uh you're a world traveler and I remember a particular story about you where you operated the first hours of a contest from Minnesota and the remaining hours in Chile or vice versa. But um, what about um, a couple of your um, um, collisions, so to speak, with other hands? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, Bill, the most memorable DX contact I've ever had was when I was a teenager and I was talking to a guy who told me his name was Tom in the Pitcairn Islands. And it turned out he was Tom Christensen. And I, I would remember sitting in my bedroom at home in southeastern Kentucky uh, in the Appalachian Mountains where I grew up with this little tribander that I'd spent $100 and $100 for the tower and got it up. And here I was working the Pitcairn Island and uh, didn't have headphones on. I was letting it run through the speaker. My dad walks in from in the house and he's so enamored he starts listening. And he said, would you ask him if his last name is Christian? And I said, sure. And I said, are you Tom Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the descendant of Fletcher, you know, from Mutiny on the Bounty. And I said, okay, yeah, thank you. And so anyway, we had a wonderful con conversation. My dad told me later the story about that. 
And uh, that was quite memorable. And then I corresponded with his widow trying to get a QSL card. And then a bunch of my friends from here went to that island a couple of years ago. They invited me, but I couldn't leave work that length of time to go. Uh, I think, uh, I, yes, Chile has been a wonderful trip. I've been to Chile 40 times for work, uh, at least. And um, I've made friends with a number of ham radio operators there. CE3CT and CE2 Sugar yeah. Victor are two of the closest. But one time I took a station down to Chile and uh, <clears throat> had it at a friend's house. He lived right on the ocean. And then I operated one night. And then the next morning I got up and the bands were dead. And I thought, oh, they're like a home. The bands get dead here. Then I found that my coax had been chewed through by his dog, right? Because the, the antenna was outside and the coax had routed upstairs to the to the room where I was in and uh, his dog had chewed through it. So I needed a PL259 to fix it. And I I had the 59, but I, I, know I didn't have it. I didn't have a soldering thing. And I was like, how did I come without this? And But I talked to a ham named Aldo a couple of weeks before in Vina del Mar, Chile. And he said, if you need anything while you're here, uh, just give me a call. Gave me a cell phone. So I called him. And uh, he'd been up really late the night before, but he said, yes, come come to my house at 10 a.m. and we'll take care of it. So my friend, a physician, and I went over to this guy's house and my friend watched me solder a two, TL-259, you know, and he's like, oh, you should have been a surgeon instead of a cardiologist. You're pretty good with your hands. <laughs> I said, I've been doing this for 40 years. Don't, you know, don't don't judge me by it. And uh, anyway, he was amazed that, that even though Aldo and I had never met in person, he opened his home and brought me in and gave me parts, you know, and then before we left, he gave me a bottle of wine to take back so I could have something from Chile to enjoy. But it turns out Aldo had a brand new radio that he couldn't figure out how to send CW on. It was one of those, it was uh, similar to, an, it's a Kenwood 990. And so I showed him how to push the full break-in button so that it would transmit CW and he had not quite figured that out. So he was so grateful for that. And I was so grateful for the use of the soldering equipment that, yeah. Yeah. But I think another one that Bill that that I want to share is I never met this person, but we had a, a, a person in Rochester who would show up frequently on the repeater named JY1, King Hussein from Jordan. And it turned out he ended up being hospitalized here in 1998. And it was all in the media and everything. So uh, one of my coworkers at work was one of his physicians. And so I brought in some CQ and QST magazines and said, would you take this to his majesty? He said, what is it? I said, oh, he'll know exactly what it is. I said, here's a QSL card, you know, one of my cards. And I said, let him know if he wants a station set up in the hospital. I'll bring a radio in. We'll put an antenna up. And uh, he comes, he takes it to him. And then two days later, he looks me up and he says, well, his majesty wants to come to your home to see your station. And uh, unfortunately, the king never got well enough to come to my home uh, to see the station. But he has visited friends of mine and CE2SV, Dale, VE7SV, talks about the time that the king came to his home to see a new Collins lineup. And I think that would have been pretty cool if I could have actually hosted King Hussein, uh, you know, to have him operate at my station uh, you know, but uh, anyway, you just meet some really neat people. You know, I think I spend my time when I'm traveling overseas looking for Yagi antennas. I don't know if Ned and Joe do this, but I do that. You know, I look to see if there are hams around and I'm not shy about about knocking on doors and introducing myself to them. And I think one way, if, if the listeners are wondering if there may be a DXer or a potential DXer, if you find yourself looking at license plates on cars in front of you, and it says YBY727. You think, well, that would be Indonesia if it were a ham license, you know. You know you're a DXer when you start converting license plates to, to call signs to DX entities. Let's pause for a message from ICOM. Happy New Year from ICOM. Didn't get everything on your wish list? Spice up your ham shack with one of ICOM's popular base stations. These radios are perfect for working your favorite bands while staying inside or venturing out this winter. 
The IC705 is the perfect sidekick and QRP companion. Base station features and functionality at the tip of your fingers and a portable package covering HF, 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs just over 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. Other features include a 4.3 inch touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall, 5 watts with the BP272 battery pack and 10 watts with 13.8 volts DC. Single sideband CW, AM, FM, as well as full D-Star functionality, touchscreen display, micro USB connector, Bluetooth, and WAN. Integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger, micro SD card slot, speaker and microphone. The HM243 is included. It supports QRP and QRPP operations. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional backpack LC192 with a special compartment for your IC705 and plenty of room for accessories. Another radio is the IC7300, a high-performance HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed expectations. This transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 changed the way entry-level HF is designed. Other features include RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and an SD memory card slot. For the love of ham radio. Uh, so one of the things that and certainly the, your 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 um, discussion about the king was was something I wanted to touch on, uh, but Joe, you you had an interesting. Uh, what always strikes me the the deeper and deeper I get into this is is how much there is a humanitarian side uh, to DXing that never really gets published. I mean, we you know we hear about you know guys go to a country, they set up, they operate, and they get out, and hopefully they left it better than that. But but I know there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of um, villages that are touched. There are a lot of things that go on. And the one is struck me a lot because uh, my dad had a personal interest and that was your trip, Joe, to uh, Midway. Uh, and there, I believe there was a comm uh, commemoration while you were there, if I can say that correctly. Can you touch on that for a minute? Yeah, that was on Wake Island. Wake, sorry. Uh, K yes, K9W. We had a hard time. Uh, I was just part of the crew, but the uh, our, our leader had a hard time getting permission to enter the aisle. Took us two years to uh, to actually pull that off. So the the reason for going, uh, the leader's reason for going is that there was, uh, I think 79 uh, civilian contractors that were murdered by the uh, Japanese on, on the island. So the, the team, our whole purpose in going was to, uh, commemorate that anniversary when those people, when those men were, were killed. So Lou, uh, Lou, our leader, had a, a list of all up. And, and we had a station in Boise, Idaho, because that's where the majority of them were, were from. So we had an amateur at Boise that got the family that he could uh, get a hold of, come to his house and listen to Lou announce on 20 meters uh, all those names of those uh, uh, civilians that were killed. And I was in station, I was working 20 meters at the time, 
and, and we had this all set up for like one o'clock. So I gave up the radio, obviously, so Lou could do it. Uh, John Miller, uh, K6 Mike Mike, was, was in there with us. And it was very, very sad. Lou uh, broke down uh, during mentioning of, of the names. And, and chills just went down my spine. I had to leave the room to, uh, to keep from crying myself. And, and I thought that was, that was so touching. Uh, the whole trip was around these, these civilians that, that got murdered. And, and that was our reason for being there. And I guess of all the trips I have been on, uh, that really, really, um, sticks with me today. Wow, that and, and that that's probably because why I remember you just you don't think of that side of it, you know. So good for you, uh, Ned. I have been encouraged by a famous DXer uh, to ask you about Vince, and I and if unless I'm wrong, I think that fits into this discussion, perhaps. So, and, and I should also point out that you're a you remember or are a member of the the Voodoo DX group, which is known for dominating the expeditions to Africa, et cetera. So I, unfortunately, I left that out at the beginning, and I'm sorry for that. No, no problem. Yeah, Vince Thompson, K5VT, is, is uh, I mentioned before, characters. Well, he is character number one on my list. He is the, one of the most engaging people uh, I've ever met in my life. Uh, he's from Arkansas. He, like the rest of us, he, he got afflicted with a hobby, and, and I think it was in junior high. And um, there were a number of other uh, similarly uh, afflicted friends who, who formed this bond and, and, and were friends for their whole life in, in the ham radio. I don't remember all their calls, but uh, everywhere I go, I bump into one of them. Uh, he, he went to University of Oklahoma as a, uh, as a all-star uh, tight end uh, under the, the, the Wilkinson era. I mean, he was a big big time, big name player. And he blew out his knee in the first game, I think it was, uh, of his freshman year or sophomore year then, um, and had to retire from football and and then decided to go into pre-med and became a doctor oncologist and uh, pra practiced here in Phoenix for, I don't know, 25, 30 years or so. And, and, and I got to meet him while he was still with the world, working with the World Health Organization. He, he was uh, trained to uh, go into uh, foreign countries and do follow-ups on training of doctors who had been trained at, uh, at, doctor, at hospitals here in the States. And that gave him a chance to uh, uh, play his hobby while there. I mean, he would perform 20, 30, 40 surgical procedures during the day and get, out, uh, get to his, uh, his room and work the radio all night. And uh, he did that time after time. Um, I remember, you know, uh, working him in some of the strangest places in the world, uh, and his, his, his CW skills are, are just one of the best ever, uh, and, and it just, his, his strength was, uh, was just un unbelievable. He just, uh, he just had a, had a knack, and, uh, and he was friends with everybody. If you ever met him, and he, and he, you just wanted to get his attention and he would focus his deep blue eyes at you and talk with his melodious, you know, Arkansas accent. And it just, it just, it just captured you. It just, you know, he's just one of those people that is so engaging, uh, you know, and, uh, but there's so many stories uh, about him that that's just are, are, are just, it's hard to pick one or two, but I did travel to Africa with him a number of times and, uh, 
And like like before, he would be at his at the, doing his shifts on the, in the voodoo contest group. And he'd go back to his room and get on his cell phone and start calling his patients and do, doing follow-ups with his patients uh, when he's in his off time. He just he just uh, he, he marched double time uh, in this in this life. And he's just one of those people that I'll just never forget. There are a lot of stories I really can't talk about here, but <laughs> but uh, uh, but sometime if you catch me somewhere and stop and buy me a beer, I'll tell you a couple of the really 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 good uh, Vince Thompson stories. But he's just just one of those people I'll, I'll just never forget my whole life. Okay, great. Uh, let me switch gears a little bit because I got an interesting email last week um, from someone who looked at this column thing that I do, and they said, "Man, I can't believe the DX that's coming through all the time now." Is this as good as it gets? And I kind of took a minute and I went back through some old log books. I've been doing this for about three solar cycles. Um, I've been a ham since 71, but only chasing DX for like the last 30 or so years. Um, and I'll date myself a little bit. I'm sure you all remember chasing Rus Russian oblasts uh, in the old days. And, and we'd be on 20 meters, it'd be open around the clock. And so I think if I were to become a DXer, now is a really good time to do that because as good as it is right now, it's it's going to get a lot better over the next several years. So um, I'll start maybe with Joe this time. O overall, Joe, what do you what do you see is going to be a lot of fun over the next couple of years? Well, I'm excited about the, the Beauvais guys. I've got them on three bands, but I'll certainly, you know, try to work them on on other bands. Like the, I think all, all four of us have, have been through these cycles where, where propagation is just beautiful. And then over the 11 year cycle, it falls down and you're sort of lucky to, to talk to your neighbor uh, in, in some cases. But um, I'm looking forward to the next, what, four or five years, I guess. I, I think it's going to be outstanding. And, and it's good right now, if you ask me. It is very good. I worked New Zealand on six meters last week. So I was at the uh, height of my glory doing that now. And I, and I had already worked New Zealand, but it's just the thrill of working them uh, again. So, uh, yeah, I think the propagation is, uh, is, is outstanding and going to get better. Okay, Scott, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I agree with Joe. I, I think uh, these are certainly the best of times. And as the book says, sometimes the worst of times. Uh, I, one of the lessons I've learned out of the last several solar cycles is take advantage when it's hot. We have a saying here in the Midwest that says, make hay while the sun shines. And you really have to be on the on the air and on the bands when the solar cycle's at its peak uh, to get those countries. And you, you know, if you let work get in the way or other things get in the way, you, you're going to miss it. And it's going to be a long wait till it comes back. I would also say that we're in the best of times ever right now, not because of the peak of the solar flux. It's not going to be as high probably as it was in the 50s or 60s. But we're in the best of times because of several things. One, antennas have never been better than they are now. Two, uh, radios are the best we've ever seen. The receivers are more sensitive and selective and have better filtering and digital processing helps with noise and the SDR boom has really helped. And then third, technical people like Ned have brought in new modes like FT8 and others that just allow you with a almost a short piece of wire and 100 watts to be able to work the world. Maybe Ned wants to comment, but he was in the Pacific a couple of years ago, and I think he was running three or four radios at one time with FT8 on three or four bands just to be able to work people. So I think if you're willing to try new modes and and uh, and 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 
really just tune your station up a little bit, you're going to see opportunities like we've never seen. And like Joe, I can't wait to work the Bouvet team uh, in January and hopefully Crozet later this year. And, uh, you know, I'm still hoping North Korea will get opened up. I, I need North Korea. And uh, the last one that I really want is Scarborough Reef. I don't know if the Chinese will ever be able to get back there, but I hope they do because I, uh, I'm i convinced I worked them the last time, but I didn't make the log. And so uh, I have an amplifier now, so I'm ready to really work them with high power. Let's take a break to learn about a program that could reward those of you that have been helping young hams move up the DX ladder. The Southwest Ohio DX Association, SWODEXA, in conjunction with ICOM America, Inc., is announcing a program to recognize and reward amateur radio operators who have played a key role in helping other amateur radio operators achieve DXCC. The purpose of this program is not to bring recognition to those that achieve DXCC, but rather to recognize those amateurs that assist others in achieving their first 100 confirmed entities. There is an application form and a judging committee staffed by SWODEXA representatives and a representative from both the Northern California DX Foundation and the International DX Association. Those amateurs receiving the help must be under 30 years of age during the calendar year for the award. The intent of targeting this audience is to attract and retain those amateurs that are most likely to remain engaged in the hobby after achieving DXCC. SWODEXA is uniquely positioned to bestow this award at the annual SWODEXA DX Dinner. The DX Dinner, held annually in conjunction with the Dayton Hamvention, is arguably the largest gathering of active DXers in the world. We present the DXpedition of the Year Award, the DXpeditioner of the Year Award when applicable, and host the DX Forum. CQ Magazine announces their CQ DX Hall of Fame inductees at the DX Dinner as well. As a technology leader in our hobby, there is no better partner to promote and celebrate this award than ICOM. Ray, N9JA, has been a constant promoter of ham radio, even coining the phrase, for the love of ham radio. ICOM has selflessly supported amateur radio over the years and is taking this opportunity to promote the mentors of DX. Thanks to ICOM for their support. More information and the entry form can be found at www.swodexa.org slash dx-mentor-program by emailing the dxmentor at gmail.com or by calling 1-513-855-3980. Okay, Ned, any comments? Yeah, well, let me follow up on, on what, uh, what Scott mentioned. Uh, I... I we start with the uh, one of my big de expeditions was to uh, uh, South Sandwich Island, which is which is if it's not the edge of, of the world, it's you can see it from there. Um, and and I was uh, my one of my roles was to be the CW team lead to make sure that I had you know the right operators and the right schedule and, uh, and assigned and, and I'd done such a good job that I didn't have a slot for myself. So, so I, I sat down at the ready position because it was empty and I, I managed to pull off uh, 10,000 ready QSOs or something like that from South Sandwich. And, uh, and it was a horrible, horrible assignment. Uh, ready is, is ugly. It's terrible. It's uh, a very inefficient modulation scheme. Uh, signals are terrible. They're uh, it's just hard to pick out a single signal in a pile. It's just it's nasty. And when I got back, I was interviewed by uh, W0YK, 
uh, Ed Manza, who's the NCJ digital contesting uh, author. And uh, he asked, he interviewed me and I, and I kind of blasphemed uh, Riddy and I said, it needs to be replaced with something. I didn't know what. And then a couple of years later, I, I had a chance to, I was asked by, by uh, 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 Joe Taylor, Dr. Joe Taylor, the author of WSJT and uh, FT8 modes, all the modes, um, all those modes. And he asked me if, if I would help him with a version of FT8 that would work for, for contesting. I mean, FT8 hit the streets in 2017 or I don't know, somewhere in that era, and it just exploded. It became the mode, it just attracted lots and lots of people. And, uh, but it was not ready for contesting really or for DXing. And so he asked me if I could help work out a way to make it more adaptable to DXing. And so I enlisted the several of the other members of the, uh, the upcoming team to, to Baker Island to, to work on a, a, a new protocol, a new way to uh, uh, manage the, the context in the mode to enhance, be enhanced for, for the expeditions to get the rates up a bit higher. And so over the course of about uh, nine months, uh, the team worked on, I mean, I wrote the requirements document. I actually came up with the title Foxhound for this mode uh, in my requirements paper, and it kind of caught. And, uh, and we, we worked with the development team, and we came up with this, uh, this new protocol uh, called Foxhound uh, that, uh, that changed, I think, the expeditioning. It, 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 and then like, like, like Scott said, uh, we went to the island with the idea of running this mode, and it was so easy that it turned out that a single operator could operate three stations at the same time and maintain rates that equaled what the other 11 people on the team were doing and then the, all the other tents on sideband and CW. It, it just uh, revolutionized the mode. I mean, the wear and tear on, on, the, on the DX operator is dramatically reduced. Uh, they, 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 there are no busted calls. Uh, it just it just made a huge impact, and and it's going to be a big factor going forward. Like Bouvet coming up, they'll be uh, they'll have a number of stations on FT8, so it's going to just op make the opportunity to make a contest a contact just that much better. So uh, so I think that's what's what's going to be different going forward. It's just you know bands that were just marginally open will be quite usable using these new digital modes. So so. It's just going to be different uh, this this solar cycle peak than ever before, and it'll be exciting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it really is funny right now because you can tune, you know, forty meters at night and not hear a thing on the CW portion, but you go up to FT8 and there's stuff everywhere. So um, it's 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 really interesting. And yet, what, what I always fear is, and I fall into this: there's too many people tuning. Uh, it's like your fishing analogy: if I don't cast, there's really no chance I'm going to catch anything. So um, that. I get lazy, I guess, from that standpoint. So um, switching gears again, kind of just to cover another thing. Um, you know, one of the perceptions I think that I hear is that, well, I'd like to get into that, but I'm going to, I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't have 20 acres and I don't have $10,000 and I don't have this and that. And I, and I always kind of push back and say, if you want to chase the X, you really don't need that. And let's keep our perspective. You got a thousand dollar cell phone in your pocket. So there, there's ways we can do this. And I, and I like going to like RNL Electronics in Hamilton and just see what their used equipment is because you can outfit a station for a couple of hundred bucks enough to get you on the air to do certain things. Um, so later in this podcast, and it's going to be a few months, I guess, but um, what I'm going to try to do is break DXing into tiers, like the first hundred. 
right? So that first hundred is fairly easy. Then there's the middle hundred, but then that top 100, that's, that's where, you know, it takes some skill. And, and yeah, you probably have to upgrade certain things. But assuming, and hopefully we've got some folks listening that are maybe are hams, but they're not really Chase DXers. So what would be your, your coaching as to how they could get in and get that first hundred to really get things going? Uh, Joe, I think you can start this time. Well, I would say ask uh, some of your friends if uh, if they got a radio uh, that they're not using. Maybe they got one that they would sell uh, reasonable. And uh, and then from there, you can build a dipole or I like inverted Vs. Verticals are easy to set up and, and for the most part, uh, reasonable. But for sure, a dipole or an inverted V, you just need uh, uh, 50 feet of wire, 100 feet of wire, an insulator. And, and enough cable to get into the house. So that's a good way. Uh, I try to Elmer some guys are, um, around my town and, and that's the approach I take. Uh, let's get a good use radio, uh, but no sense starting off with, with a $7,000 radio when, when you can do pretty much the same thing with, with a, a, a cheaper radio. But I also believe that, that a new person needs to have a, a fairly decent radio, if at all possible, just so that he or she gets started off on the right foot. Because if, if you have an old car and every time you turn around, you got a flat tire, you sort of get aggravated with. It. But I think if you, if, if you could come up with a decent radio and there are some clubs that uh, even have inventories of, of radio equipment that, that they'll either maybe give you or at least loan it to you, Till you sort of get on your feet. So I think those those are approaches that I take here, uh, Bill. Uh, Ned, yeah, like 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 Joe is saying, um, uh, an unfortunate aspect of ham radio right now is a lot of a lot of hams are are, are aging, and uh, and there are a lot of estate situations, and and radios are easily available. You really don't need uh, as much as you'd like a brand new ICOM. Uh, uh, sometimes you can find a vintage ICOM and, uh, and, and get yourself on the radio with a, with a modest investment. And, and that's, you know, I really think you'll, you'll get much, much, much more satisfaction if you get more out of a modest investment than, than, you know, pulling out your visa card and getting, going first class. It's just, there's a lot to learn and there's, and, and, and you got to, you know, start, with something modest and, and then decide, decide what, uh, what works for you and what you want to do next. Antennas are not, if you don't have restrictions, antennas are, are not hard to put up. If you have restrictions or again, talk to your local friends, they will help you figure out how to hide them under your eaves of your house or, or in your attic or, or something like that. You can get, get through. There's lots of people who do quite well with invisible antennas. So that shouldn't be a restriction as much as you like to fight city hall. It may, uh, detract from the joy of the experience. So I, I, I suggest you uh, uh, try modest. Uh, the other thing is you can, you know, share their station, either go over and help an operator at their station, a, a local friend station, or, or remote into it, if you can figure, sort that all out. So uh, it should not be hard to get started. That first hundred should be easy to do. I know Scott probably does that in an hour in a contest. <laughs> so, so Scott, you're responsive. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Ned, Ned certainly and uh, KY7M and Mike uh, and those who are part of the big remote station at NA7TB can do that in an hour. Might take me two or three here in the Midwest. Um, 
I, let me just say this: a couple of things, a couple of thoughts, and may not may not be as logical as what you just heard. Number one, if you really want to work DXCC, get on a contest weekend like uh, the ARRL DX contest or CQ Worldwide. I especially like the ARRL DX CW or sideband contest because all the foreign stations have to work U.S. So you're going to be the desired station. And so they're going to hear your really weak signal or they're going to hear your slow Morse code or whatever. Uh, And if you're intimidated by voice or Morse code, then there's an FT8 or a RIDI event that that are available. You can use CQ Worldwide RIDI, WPX RIDI, WPX Sideband. Those are all the great contests where you can get DXCC in a weekend. And I... What I'd set as a goal for my station, because I'm a I'm a serious contester, and Ned is as well, and and uh, <clears throat> I set a goal of three to five band DXCC per contest weekend, depending on the part of the solar cycle. And if I can't achieve that, I feel like I've not achieved my goals. So it's very doable. Uh, it's much easier than it sounds. In terms of getting on the air, we, we're recording this podcast in December, right after the ARRL 10 meter contest. A local ham had gotten on at my encouraging, and he had two antennas. He had a home-built two-element Moxon Yagi, and he had a 10-meter dipole. And he put the 10-meter dipole at 30 feet and the Moxon at 20. And he said on the reflector today, boy, the dipole outperformed the Moxon. Why is that? And so some other people said, well, looking at modeling of it, you know, your Moxon didn't perform that well because it was too low, but your dipole was right at one wavelength up and uh, it performed normally and it's going to be a good DX antenna. So what I recommend is if you have any trees in your yard and you can get an antenna up 50 feet or higher uh, for any band 40 meters and lower, excuse me, any band lower than that, you can, uh, it'll, you'll get a good signal in your work DX. So I, I recommend starting with a dipole or an inverted V. And the other thing I would recommend, if you can't, is to get a vertical. Uh, but I prefer horizontal antennas to verticals generally on any band 20 meters and up because I think they perform better. With regard to equipment, I think it's been well covered. You don't need the latest eight, ten, twelve thousand dollar radio. Any of the uh, manufacturers will sell you their top of the line radio, but you know, I achieved DXCC with an with an older used radio that I bought. And I think if you're thinking about what can I get on today, if you want a new radio, don't spend a fortune. Start with a Yaesu FT891 or an ICOM 7300. Don't go QRP. Start with 100 watts. Life is too short for QRP when you're a beginner. QRP is something an experienced person should do. Or get a used radio, you know, like a, I don't know, a Yesu, I'm sorry, an ICOM 756 Pro or a 7600. Those are fantastic radios, and they're a fraction of their new cost. A Yesu FT1000D or MP is a wonderful DX radio. You can get them for $700, $800. But if you want to spend less, the the Yesu FT891 is like six or $700, and that's a bargain. The 7300 is around 1000 or the, uh, I would say get a Kenwood, but they don't seem to be having much for sale right now. But the 590 is a good radio, but we're not sure about the supply chain. So you don't really need a new radio. You know, if you're going to seriously invest, let's say a thousand or two thousand dollars and you have the space, put half the budget into an antenna if you can. A few dipoles, maybe a small Yagi if you can get a tower and a Yagi, but you don't need that. You know, the first hundred cues, the first hundred countries can be a weekend in a contest with a dipole that you aim broadside to Europe, which means if you're in North America, you orient one leg of the dipole southeast and one leg northwest so that broadside it's northeast and southwest radiating, and you'll work those easy Pacific Rim countries like Australia, New Zealand, and most of Europe and Africa, and you'll have so much fun, you'll be addicted to to DXing and contesting. This sounds like a great time to get an update from ICOM. 
Earlier in this podcast, we talked to you about the ICOM IC705 and the IC7300. But what do you know about the ICOM ID52A? It is a VHF UHF dual bander with D-Star and FM dual mode functions and is the first handheld amateur radio with a full color 2.3 inch waterfall display. This radio supports conventional FM communications and D-Star simplex, as well as repeater, regional, and worldwide calls over the D-Star internet gateway. You can even send photos over D-Star with a connected Android device. Other features include wideband receiver with a guaranteed range of 144 to 148 and 440 to 450 megahertz. VV, UU, and VU with dual DV mode. Integrated GPS and GLONASS receiver, including grid square location. Micro SD card slot. Micro USB for data transfer, programming, and charging. An IPX7 waterproof standard. The ID52A is a perfect companion to the IC705. Both use compatible batteries and headsets, and you can also use the same Android app for D-Star operation. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the UHF-VHF weak signal world. This all-mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you busy. Faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. Other features include a 4.3-inch touchscreen color TFT LCD display, real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display, smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels, dual watch operation, and full duplex operation in satellite mode. For more information on all the products and accessories that ICOM has to offer, check out www.icomamerica.com for the love of ham radio. Okay, excellent answers, guys. Kind of the last topic I wanted to take a look at, again, for a, a newbie, because um, there's a couple guys where I work, and they kind of have a passing interest, but they kind of, and I, this surprised me, but they kind of didn't realize that computers were so closely tied to ham radio. I think they still had it in their mind that I get down here in the morning and, you know, I hold this big microphone and just call CQ and hope somebody comes back. But you know, with the logging software and all the resources online now and the, the DX bulletins we can get in the DX, it's, it's really pretty amazing. And, and uh, it, it, once you're into it, uh, I think it's very gratifying that, that you can, for instance, you can create an antenna by going through modeling software and you can build the antenna and then you can actually use it and then compare that to what your modeling results are. Um, the other thing Ned mentioned, and, and I I, and we're not going to go there, but there's a lot of issues surrounding FTA, right? Some like it, some don't. But um, I think what sometimes get lost is the team that put that together and the guy, these are, these are top people in the world that have spent their time developing this that we're allowed to take advantage of, you know, Nobel Prize winners, et cetera. So I think sometimes we forget that. And, and I wonder if we don't need to do a better job of promoting some of the cool things that we've done because, um, we just don't get it out enough. And, and, and what I really appreciate about this group, um, and I've been kind of keeping track in my mind, we haven't really used any, any terms or made references to something that would have a deeper explana uh, explanation. I think if someone's in the ham radio, 
they can kind of follow this discussion, which kind of leads me maybe to our final question. And I'm trying to balance it out, but I guess I'll start with Scott again. What in, in just DX in general, um, what what do you think in the in the general ham population, what might be the largest misconception about either chasing DX or being DX? Yeah, and let me just say it's a real privilege to to see Dr. Joe Taylor, a Nobel laureate in physics, doing stuff in ham radio. I met him at Dayton and I was flabbergasted. I'm an academic physician and to meet someone who's a Nobel laureate, it's really impressive. And we also have on this podcast, Ned Stearns, who would likely be a Nobel laureate if his field had such an award for all he's done with engineering. And I'm not going to disclose that because some of it's not publicly disclosable, but Ned's a really accomplished technical person too. Uh, with regard to DXing, Bill, I want to make one comment about computers because you're so right. You know, it, many of us who were licensed before 1995 have a resistance to putting computers with ham radio, and that's a big mistake. You know, get a radio that allows you to do a USB connection to your computer. If you're going to, if you're getting into the hobby or if you want to upgrade your radio and you don't have one that allows you to have a direct USB connection to the PC, please do that because it'll make all the modes much simpler and all the computer control and integration much simpler. And don't resist it. You don't need to buy $500 conversion boxes to connect your radio when most of them today since about 2000 will are USB ready. I think ICOM had that logo and it makes a lot of sense. Biggest misconceptions. Number one, it takes a lot of money to be a DXer and that's nonsense. You know, thanks to Ned and his friendship with the 3B7 station, that's how I got on that's how I got confirmed, Ned. You're you're getting him on the air. That's that's my first contact in that state that country and that's a that was new for me. Secondly, uh, you don't have to be a really skilled operator. You know, you can uh, you can work DX as a novice, as a beginner, as a VHF only ham in your first foray onto HF. Just get on and give them a call. They will be they're nice to you. Most of the DX operators are not sophisticated hams. Uh, and they will work you and they'll be delighted to talk to you. Third, it's not expensive. You can, you can take a used radio that you buy for $300 at a ham fest and $50 of wire or a dipole or buy a self pre-built dipole from MFJ or Alpha Delta and put it up if you don't want to build. And, and I think the other thing you want to do is just avoid the rookie mistakes or the, the forced errors that they talk about in sports. Number one, don't buy cheap coax. Get good coax because you don't want to lose your signal going to the antenna. Uh, two, make sure the antenna is resonant. Make sure it's tuned. And if you don't know how to tune it, get a friend who's a ham in the community to come by and help you. Many of us have antenna analyzers and we'll gladly show you how to tune your antenna. But make sure it's resonant so you don't lose power, you know. And a three, know when to operate, right? The DX is, is on the air a lot, but there are times when it's really good to work them. You know, as Joe talks about gray line, that basically means sunrise and sunset. And so the signals, the propagation's enhanced when you have that night-day interface. And so you can work various places in the world. I often take a small vertical dipole to Chile and 100 watts, and I can start working Eastern Europe and Russia. And as the gray line moves west, I can work all the way to the west coast U.S. if I have three or four hours in the afternoon or evening. And it's really cool just to follow the gray line. It's really neat physics uh, to do that. So be smart, you know, and use the spotting clusters. Use the use the built-in things within 1MM or to look where the DX stations are and click on there and just be patient. Keep calling. Uh, and uh, listen, as Bob often often says, listen, figure out what's working, 
and then give them a call. And eventually they will call you. So the last thing I just will say is be persistent. As Churchill once said, never, ever, ever, ever give up. That's true with DXing. You will get through eventually. Uh, just keep trying and uh, don't don't pressure yourself, but just, you know, enjoy it and celebrate the working those countries. You know, uh, I often celebrate in my ham shack when I work and do DX entity or get a new multiplier contester just to stay motivated. So anyway, that, that's what I have, Bill. Okay. I, I will have to give credit to both Joe and uh, Jay, K4ZLE, because in the late 80s, when I was starting to get ramped up on this stuff, um, I joined the Southwest Ohio DX group, and I and I don't know where they they had individually come back from a couple places. And I said, look, I, I got an amplifier. I don't have an amplifier. I, I've got a vertical. And, and Jay was like, you can't believe how many small stations we work. What's your question? It's like, I, I can't seem to get through. And both he and Joe basically said, Here's where everybody's calling. Here's where I'm listening. That's where you got to be. And it, it taught me a lot about you, you really have to listen. And when they say up five, they kind of mean up five, up six, up seven. Up eight. But what they don't mean is to call right on frequency. So a lot of times the, with the information, you're, they're actually giving it to you. Uh, and then you have to listen to other people that are working them to find out where they're. So, so Joe, I appreciate that um, advice 40 years ago. My goodness, 40 years ago. Uh, but any uh, anything you want to add about computers or internet in the shack would be great. Well, first of all, I'll send you a bill since you appreciated the information. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, coming up yeah, years ago, I uh, I never had a computer. My paper log, and then as as things progress, and and I guess I progressed, and I had a good Elmer, had a couple good Elmers, and and I agree with uh, with Scott. Oh my God, the antenna is the most important part of the whole setup. You, you need a good antenna and it needs to be resident wherever uh, your, your, whatever band you're working on. I, I am just a full believer of that. I don't even own a tuner. So all my antennas are all, uh, all resident. I, I'm, I'm just a big, uh, big guy that way. But um, the packet cluster, Scott mentioned it, and mine's over here running. I never shut it off. It runs 24-7. And if I get up in the middle of the night for my cookies and milk, I come in here and see if there's anything that I need to get on and, and work. So this has all been excellent uh, uh, comments, Bill. I don't really have any more to add, but I'm just tickled to death to be part of all this. So, so your story about Janet running out to adjust the antenna at two in the morning isn't true. You, everything's resonant. So. <laughs> so no, that, that is not true. Let's pause so we can hear from a DX club that is one of our sponsors. DXing is even more enjoyable when you make connections with other DXers. A major sponsor of this podcast is the Southwest Ohio DX Association, or SWODEXA. Swodexa is best known for hosting the DX Dinner and DX Forum, as well as the Expedition of the Year Award. All these DX events are held annually in conjunction with Hamvention and are among the most well-attended and notable DX events of the year. Joining Swodexa will give you access to a great group of DXers, an informative newsletter, preferred seating at the DX Dinner, and you will be supporting DXpeditions to the top 50 needed DXCC entities. Check us out at www.swodxa.com and click on the Membership Info tab for more information and a registration form. 
So I'll let Ned wrap us up on this topic. And then I might ask you to do his dovetail. I did forget one other thing. How important is it to join a club? So talk about the internet and maybe talk about the support from clubs. Okay, well, this is, this is a very, very interesting topic. Um, you know, I, I started engineering uh, in 73 and there, you know, there were computers, but they were big and heavy and had big line printers and, you know, you had card decks and, you know, it was, it was not anything to do with ham radio, but uh, the personal computers uh, came out. Um, it, all of a sudden you started to see them popping up in ham shacks and they were involved in packet uh, communications uh, and, and some modest, uh, you know, uh, control of, of some equipment. But it, it, the evolution of that has just been, it's been amazing, even to me. Uh, I, I now have, I, you know, I don't, I count the number of displays I have that are, and how many PCs I use to run them. And I have remote PCs and, you know, it's just, it's just, I have uh, turned into a, a network uh, engineer over the last couple of years. I, I wasn't very good at that when I was a practicing engineer. I, and I built some pretty big communication systems, but I relied on, uh, network people to design, you know, the, that all I wanted to know, do I have a connection and blah, 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 you know, everything moved on. But now I'm finding very, very, very interesting uses of, of networked systems to enhance DXing. I, I now, uh, I have a talk I give right now. It's a, it's, it's about using remote stations uh, for DXing. Uh, and I'll use an example right now on six meters. I am, I am as passionate about six meters as Joe is about 60. It's just, it, you know, it's where I cut my teeth. I, I, I know that band inside and out. I know it's unusual. And now I'm doing stuff that I never heard about. I have, I use diversity DXing now where I have multiple stations working a, a rare opening, like from here to Europe is very unusual on six meters. It happens either in the peak of cycles on F2, uh, F2 propagation, which is, uh, you know, what we all want when we're DXing. That's just the, the, the best uh, way to get good, good signals from far away is, is relying on the very high uh, uh, layers of the ionosphere to be ionized to make, to support that. We also get it with a, a lower, uh, with mo uh, sporadic E, which is a lower layer of propagation uh, 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 reflection uh, that, but when you get multiple hops, you can sort of work those same long distances uh, in the summer. And that happens every year and not just during the peak of these 11 year cycles. So there's more and more activity now on six meters uh, chasing DX in a multi-hop E. And my use of, of networked stations to uh, work that same opening from two different locations at the same time is, is something you can do now that you never used to be able to do. So it's, it's changing the hobby. It is creating, I think, an attraction to ham radio operators to to learn more than just you know about radios and antennas uh you know, understanding how networks work and how to exploit them to do what is your hobby is i think uh both a good thing for your hobby and also good training for you to understand how to to uh, how the world is working and needs to uh, be designed to work for what we need to do next i think you know, uh, I think ham radio can be more attractive to younger hams if it matches what it is they do. Uh, and, and they are into social networking. And, and ham radio has a place in that uh, if, if one of the hops 
in your in your connection between you and somebody else is via ham radio it it can be you know it can be another way to get interest in the hobby with 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 uh, uh, the people who don't have beards right now uh, so uh it's it's i find that that whole aspect of of uh, amateur radio is exploding and and very interesting and very uh, germane to uh, modern uh, society, and and I and I think that's what's where we're going to be going going forward. You know, as I mentioned earlier about but but having deed restrictions, not being able to pick, put big antennas. Well, if if the antenna doesn't have to be at your property, uh, then and you can still play radio if you can if uh, if you work on uh, networking to places where radios are. And uh, you know, again, uh, we have a team here in Phoenix. Uh, the the Safford uh, contest group that was myself and, uh, and four others, and we have a remote station out in in, in uh, eastern Arizona, and we we invite others to operate it, uh, and many of the operators are not allowed to have uh, in outdoor antennas. So it it you know ham radio may not look the same uh, uh, going forward, and 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 DXing is an attraction that will I think uh, uh, encourage more people to participate in the hobby if they can just somehow uh, gain access to uh, uh, stations that they can't quite stand up in their own in their own property so uh, so I, I I'm finding uh, still lots to learn I, I keep saying it you know I retired five years ago and but I'm I'm busier than I've ever been in my life right now building uh, uh, stuff that I want to do uh, for for my my interest which primarily is ham radio you know it, it's funny what you brought up because um, Scott had encouraged me years ago when he was the uh, editor of the National Contest Journal, um, was there a couple of PC articles I could put together? And my first thought was, what in the world would the National Contest Journal want with PC? And, and then when you go and you think about things like, well, what about backing up your files? What about, I'm going to pick a new PC. What kind of, what do I have in it to make sure I can best leverage my ham radio software and my station? So you're right. It's, it's really become integrated. And the more we can leverage that, the better we can be. So um, my closing thought would be, uh, I'm a member of uh, both uh, the Southwest Ohio and the Twin Cities group. Um, and what I'm starting to see now, uh, for instance, this week, we've got two um, memberships uh, requests for Swedexa that are from not in this area, but because we've, we're doing everything virtually now and we're trying to provide programs, we're trying to push it out, as you said, through social media, people take notice. So um, I would, my, my challenge for anyone listening would be, you know, you can contact me or contact anybody on this, on this podcast, and we'll put you in touch with a, with a club um, who can help you out. I've, I've never heard a club member ever say, no, I don't want to help you. I've never heard that. I don't know that other hobbies can say that, but in, in at least my experience, that's never happened. So um, let me start with Scott. Do you have any, any closing thoughts, Scott, or anything I miss that you think we should touch on for that? that new person who's tuning in to find out about DX and what their next step might be. Well, I just, well, first of all, I want to congratulate Swodexa and thanks for reminding me. I've got to renew my membership because I really love your club. You sponsored the D expedition of the year award, which is an important award. And uh, you are a leader of leaders in the DX club. Ned's part of the Arizona outlaws and Arizona DX club. It's a CADXA central Arizona DX association. It's another great club. There are a number of great clubs. Uh, I guess my last comments are this, Bill. You know, DXing is fun. It's what got me into ham radio, to be able to talk to people around the world. And even if it's a short conversation, 
it's it is scary just give it a try you'll really like it if you have any desire to do it just give it a try it's not hard it doesn't require an enormous station uh just give it a try and i think you'll like it and if you don't like it then you can blame me uh but i think you will like it and you, and and, you, and your spouse can't blame me if you start investing in ham radio uh you know i jokingly say i started working as a teenager to improve my ham radio station i think i still do <laughs> <laughs> And is it all right if someone wants to contact you directly, they can reference your QRZ.com page? Yes, I would encourage that. Please do. Uh, and and I would say also, we'll try to help you find good Internet resources. Uh, there, there are some things on YouTube that are not very good about DXing and, <laughs> and the contesting, and there are some that are good. Uh, and we'll help, we'll help direct you to reputable sources that will not waste your money or be trying to sell you on some antenna that's really expensive, that's a knock off vertical or something but you know most of us did dxing on home home built antennas and uh you know you can still do it you don't have to buy really expensive antennas and uh so yeah please contact me or and i'll and i belong to a couple of clubs in the midwest the uh twin city dx association and the minnesota wireless association and they really are helpful it's one of the real i think one of the real joys of living here in the midwest is to have access to such a good group of hams to help me out i agree I wanted to bring a picture of my first ham shack because I had a 100-watt light bulb that was my dummy load. And I would literally just, you know, depending on what it was, I had an old ICO 720, and I would tune that to get peak on the light. And people think I'm crazy. It's like, no, no, it works. It works really well. So don't uh, <laughs> don't discount it too quickly. Uh, Joe, any closing thoughts? Well, I love amateur radio, and, and one reason, of course, I'm, I'm a DXer, I love that, but there's so many facets to ham radio. We've been talking about DXing today, but there's a lot of guys and girls that, uh, that uh, like repeater systems, and there's all kind of uh, other facets of ham radio besides what we're talking about today. But like we have discussed, buy a, an affordable radio, put up a decent antenna, and get on the air and enjoy it, and and I guess above all things, try to find a good club member, a, a good club, a good club member, and any of those guys and girls are more than willing to uh, help you and walk you through any problem that you might have. Okay, Ned, you want to take us home? Yeah, well, let me put on my ARRL hat. Um, that the ARRL has a resource, uh, which is a club locator, uh, you can um, uh, search their page. They have a search engine that will work and help you point to that. And you can type in your location and it will list uh, ham clubs in your in your area. Not all ham clubs are DX clubs, but uh, I know in Phoenix, in Arizona, we have two, three, actually, Southern, Central, and Northern Arizona DX. But we've got you know, 50, 60 clubs in the state. And uh, uh, so find a club uh, attend meetings, uh, whether it's virtual or, or real, um, uh, and, 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 and talk to people. Uh, I, I guarantee you, they, are so, they will be so happy that someone new walked in the door, you won't believe it. Well, you're uh, right. uh, it it's, uh, clubs are the, in my, my opinion, are the backbone of ham radio. Uh, it's what keeps it going. Uh, uh, our, those two clubs that, 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 that Scott had mentioned, the Central Arizona and Arizona Outlaws, the contest club, are 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 vital to me. Uh, I, I most of my best friends are are members of those organizations, and and uh, that's how we keep connected, and that's how we meet new people who join the area. They join the club, and 
and uh, develop good relationships. Uh, so uh, clubs are the absolute uh, most important part of uh, promoting ham radio and, and seek one out and you'll be amazed at how, how happy they will be to meet you. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time out of your days. I know everyone's busy and uh, um, I'm personally honored and, and just excited as you agreed to take some time and uh, um, your wisdom is, is terrific. And uh, if there's anything I can do for you all, like if I get a trip to Korea, I'll, I'll put you at the top of the list. Uh, <laughs> that, that, may be, that may be the only way I can help you, but, uh, but in any, any point, and, and if you happen to make it to the, uh, of course, the uh, Hamvention, the DX Dinner, would love to uh, uh, get you a cold 807. I guess I'm dating myself with that phrase, right? A cold 807. But, um, we'll fix you up and uh, get an eyeball, and it would be great. So thank you all so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bill, for putting it on. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. It's yeah, a pleasure, Joe. It's a pleasure, Bill. Thank you for joining us on this DX Mentor podcast. I would also like to thank our sponsors, ICOM, The Daily DX, and the Southwest Ohio DX Association. You won't find any sponsors who are more committed to DX than these guys. I would also like to thank our guests from this podcast, AA7A Ned, K0MD Scott, and WAGEX Joe. I would love to have your feedback, answer your questions, and provide help with any DX or amateur radio issues that you may have. If we've left something out or we were just wrong about an issue, we'd like to know that. You can email us at the DX mentor at gmail.com or you can call us at 513-855-3980. We'd love to have you follow us on Twitter at the DX mentor and you could direct message me at that address. Each episode can also be viewed on YouTube under the DX mentor channel. Finally, an episode schedule and more information can be found at www.aj8b.com stroke the hyphen dx hyphen mentor hyphen podcast also please drop me a line if you've achieved an all-time new one received recognition or have a dx event that you would like us to mention we'd be happy to do that and to give you some recognition 73 for this episode and thanks to my xyl karen for her love and support see you in the pileups